0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Father, as we think about the gospel this morning and think about our redemption, think about the fact that our ransom has been paid, that that no charge can be brought against us, that, that there is no condemnation for your children, because Jesus has taken our condemnation for us. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the riches of the gospel uh, that we have been exploring in Romans 8, and we pray that your spirit would bless us. Again, this morning, open our, open our eyes, open our minds and our hearts to see and receive wonderful things from your word today. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's discouraged. Father, for people who are, are carrying uh, burdens around today, people who need a word of assurance, especially. This text is just so faith fortifying. It's just meant to strengthen us and encourage us as your people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit in these next minutes together as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been walking through uh, the book of Romans, if you are new uh, today. And we've been walking through the great eighth chapter of Romans. And today we're going to finish chapter um, 8. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 39. And we're going to take a look at the God who is for you as a believer. Romans 8 and verses 31 through the end of the chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew, uh, it would be on the bottom of page 944. Um, But let's find that together. Romans 8. In verse 31, and I'm going to ask you to stand again for the reading of God's Word as we just honor the author of of God's Word by standing together as as we read the Word. Romans 8 and beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a way for this chapter to end. Maybe may be seated. <clears throat> Uh, Growing up, before I knew that God had called me to preach, there was a long period of time where I I wanted to be an attorney, and so I I really enjoyed, uh, as as a a young teenager, kind of, I would stay up late at night, and and they would show kind of old black-and-white reruns of of Perry Mason, and uh, this was long past my bedtime, so I would keep the TV really low, and I would actually lie on my stomach so my head would be close to the screen so I could hear what was being said, but those cases really intrigued me because usually they were interesting and they were complex but always at the end they would end the same way and that is Perry Mason would bring everything together and a lot of times those episodes would end with the guilty party on the stand and Perry Mason just firing questions and they were questions that were unanswerable because he had marshaled so much evidence. There was just nothing that the guilty party could say. They, they, had, no, they had no answer. Well, Paul here in these verses is hurling forth. Five questions in just a spirit of bold defiance. And these questions are unanswerable and they are meant to fortify and strengthen the faith of the believers in Rome in the first century and the believers in this room today. So what are the questions that we, that we see here in this uh, text? The, the first one is this. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Let's look at verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, he, he begins here by saying, what then shall we say to these things? These things being the things that we saw last week. And the verses leading up to verse 31, where we saw all of these incredible Promises of God. And Paul is saying, hey, in light of these incredible promises, I mean, what can we say? What can we possibly say? You know, if 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 this God who has given us these glorious promises, if this God is for us, then who can be against us? Now, on the one hand, you know, we can think of lots of forces that can be. Against us, we'll talk about some in a minute. But the question here is not just who can be against us. The question is, if God is for us, then who can, and the meaning here is who can, who can stand against us. In other words, will, will any of these forces be victorious against the believer? And of course, the answer is no. But let's think about some of the forces that are arrayed against us. You can really put them under uh, three categories, basically. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, so first of all, the, the world is against us. When Paul talks about the world, the word cosmos, he's not talking about sort of planet earth or the natural creation he's talking about sort of the uh, the the outside forces in this world that are against the things of God and and against his people so in the context of the Roman believers in the first century, I mean, here they were, sitting here, hearing this this letter read in a house church in Rome in the first century, right in the belly of the beast, the capital city of the Roman Empire, where all the people around them proclaimed, Caesar is Lord, and they believed that Jesus is Lord. And that led to a lot of persecution on the part of the government, on the part of their fellow Citizens, and so you know, for them, a lot of the outside forces of the world uh, had to do with, with the persecution they were going through. When you think about our context, and you think about the the things of the world that are sort of arrayed against us, I mean, I think about some of the things in our in our the culture that we're living in in 21st century America that is just sort of awash you know in in lust and uh, impurity and sexual morality and pornography and greed and uh, materialism and just sort of a narcissistic self indulgence okay well well all of those things are are obviously uh, forces that you know are are there they could they could pull us down they are arrayed against the believer the the, the world and then the flesh, you know, often our biggest challenge is not the outside forces, but forces within us in our indwelling sin. When Paul talks about the flesh, as we've talked about here before, you know, he's talk, not talking about the tissue that covers our skeleton. When he talks about the flesh, he's talking about the sin nature that each of us is born with, and the indwelling sin that each of us still uh, deals with, even as a believer. Uh, one, of, one of our former pastors here, uh, Wayne Poplin, uh, once preached, I heard him, wh- heard him preach a great sermon, and Wayne was saying, he said, you know, the whole time when I was pastoring in Suffolk, he said, I had an opponent. And this guy was just a thorn in my side and, you know, he was always c- causing problems and just kind of, you know, nipping at my, my heels. And the uh, whole time I was in Suffolk and then God called me to go to Charlottesville. And I show up in Charlottesville and, and here's the same guy. <laughs> He's there again, you know, and he's the same as he was before and he's creating problems and he's a thorn in the side and he's just a persistent opponent. And then God called me to Charlotte and lo and behold to my horror, I look out and here's the same guy who's followed me to Charlotte. And Wayne says, who was this this constant nemesis, this persistent opponent? It was me. You see, friends, the, the biggest challenge that, that each of us deals with is really not the one outside, but, but inside, right? The, our, our flesh, right? The indwelling sin within each one of us. So, you know, we've got outside forces in the world. We've got our flesh. And we've got the devil Verse Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Listen, the devil is not some cartoonish figure, you know, with horns and a pitchfork and, and red pajamas. The devil is, is a, a, a spiritual being, highly intelligent spiritual being who has had thousands of years of practice at tripping up and manipulating Christians and dividing churches. He has practiced. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's good at it. We've got the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and in our own strength, we are not strong enough to deal with any one of them, let alone all three of them in combination, which is what we face But we don't have to deal with them in our own strength, right? The the question is, if God is for us, and he is, then who can stand against us? Stay close to Jesus, and, and nothing can touch you. But if you allow your life to drift from Jesus, your life can become a train wreck very quickly. Stay close to him. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Second question, will God withhold good things from us, from his children? Will he he do that? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul is making an argument here from the greater to the lesser. And Paul is saying here, listen, if God has already done the greatest thing for us, which is to give his son, then doesn't that greatest gift, will, won't doesn't that include everything else, every other gift that we would need to get along in life? If God has already done the hardest thing, which is to give his son, then, then doesn't that include things that are much easier and things that... that we need to be provided for? You know, if God has already met our greatest need, which is salvation through Christ, then won't he meet the lesser needs and the challenges and things that we face in our lives? Would would, would he withhold anything from us that we really need if he's already given his son for us? Of course not. Those of you who are parents, loving parents, I mean, would you, would you withhold good things from your children if it was in your power to give them? No, you would not. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, or which one of you, if his son asked for him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's let's go back to verse 32 again. This is so powerful. And Paul says, he he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. When When I see those words Gave him up. Uh, think about what we saw earlier in Romans in, in chapter one, where you, you remember that, that Paul is talking about the fact that people just persisted in sin. They persisted in going their own way until God said, okay, have it your way. And God gave them up to their sin and to the consequences of their sin. In other words, you know, if we say to, to, to God, long enough, I don't want you, then God at some point will say, okay, okay I'll, I'll give you what you want. That's what we saw in, in chapter one, right? We, we saw that, that, that at a certain point in time, people just persisted in sin, and, and God gave them up. He gave them up to their own choices, to their own consequences. God essentially said, okay, have it, have it your way. But, but here we, we, we see that God gave Jesus up for us all. In other words, we don't have to be given up to our sin and to the consequences of our sin because God has given his son up for us. And we don't have to be handed over to, to sin, to sinful choices and their consequences because Jesus has been handed over on our behalf. All because of Of God's love. The 19th century British pastor Octavius Winslow said, Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the religious leaders for envy, but the Father for love. So listen, if God loves you that much, what are you worried about? I mean, what is the situation that you're carrying around today? What is the burden that you're carrying? What is the thing that you're fearing today? What is the situation that really scares you? What are you you burdened and worried about today? Friend, there is not one thing. There is not a single situation in your life where as a child of God, the father is not saying, I've got this, I've got this. Because he's already gotten the greatest thing for you. Do you really think That the one who gave his son for you is going to withhold from you any good thing that you need? Any provision from you? Oh, his, his greatest gift includes all of his lesser gifts. Will God withhold good things from us? No. Third, who will bring any charge against us? Verse 33 who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So the language here in verse 33 is is legal language. That word charge is like a a, a legal word, a charge against someone, just like uh, today. Uh, The word justifies here is also legal, right? And we talked earlier in Romans about how When we trust in Jesus, that God justifies us. It means that he makes us right with himself. He declares us uh, not guilty, but righteous. We are, in Christ, we are acquitted of all charges. And not only acquitted of all charges, but we are given a, a righteous standing before God. Uh, we talked uh, a few weeks ago about, about Martin Luther's dream. You know, Luther, Luther has this dream of uh, all the sins that he committed in his life being written down on these scrolls. You know, every single sin he'd ever committed, all that's written, it's written there in his own hand, and the devil came to him in this dream, and he said, is all of this yours? Is this your life written in your own hand? And Luther had to confess that it was. And so the devil kind of made him feel about that high and he got ready to leave. And Luther said, and and you can add one more thing to it. You can write across all of it. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, no charge will stick against us because Jesus has taken all of our charges. Fourth, who will condemn us? Verse 34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This chapter began in verse one with the word of no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has already taken our condemnation. He's already taken it. Michael Bird says this The only one capable of condemning believers is Christ Jesus. And he has died, risen, and ascended for them, and is now interceding on their behalf. Praise God. Fifth, who will separate us from God's love? This chapter began with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. Who will separate us from God's love? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know, what stands out to me about this list is that Paul had faced all of these things personally. He talks about them in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 and following. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, <clears throat> often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. <clears throat> and so, going back to verse 35 again, I mean, Paul had faced tribulation and distress. And persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. And there was coming a time when a sword was going to swing and Paul's head was going to be separated from his body, but it could not separate him from God's love for him in Christ. Verse 36 As it is written, for your sake we are being killed. All the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul is quoting here from Psalm 4422, and he's, he's referring here to the martyrdom of God's people. But can the enemies of the gospel separate us from the love of God in Christ by killing us? No! No. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The word for more than conquerors here is hypernikao. It means that we are hyper-conquerors, super-conquerors. Why? Because we are united to the one who has already conquered the ultimate, death. And so therefore, when he begins to talk about the things that cannot separate us from God's love, the first thing that he begins with is what? Death. Verses 38 and and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in death Nothing in life, nothing in the spirit world, nothing in time, nothing in space, nothing in anything can separate us as believers from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. As we reflect in the presence of God, are these promises for you? Are you one of God's children? Have you turned to Jesus in repentance and faith? Have you turned to the Savior and and turned away from sin and self and and seeking to do life your own way apart from him and turned to Jesus and and said, Lord, I receive you. I welcome you into my life as my Savior and as my King. Oh, friend, do it today. You've seen how much he loves you. What more could he do? (laughs) Turn to him. This world offers you nothing but ultimate misery and, and separation from God. But in Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. Turn to the Savior. Trust in him. Say, Lord, I'm following you today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. The Spirit of God is dealing with your heart about giving your life to Jesus. Let's talk about it. We'll we'll be here during the invitation. We'll be here after the service. Come share with us. I want to follow Christ, and we want to come alongside and talk with you more about, about what that means. And rejoice with you celebrate that if you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family and you want to be a part of our, our membership process here or maybe you've already been to discovering fbc maybe you're you're getting ready to uh, to to go or maybe maybe you need to be baptized as a believer we want to invite you to come let us let us know that we want to come alongside and, and rejoice with you and talk with you about more about what that means We invite you to come. If there's a need in your life for prayer, you can pray with me or one of our pastors. This altar is open for you. And so, Father, we we give you this time, and we pray that your spirit would work and move in our lives right now for your glory's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.